I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point. Wow. Happy birthday, Dr. Kate Sia. <laughs> You're listening to the Outer Sanctum, the birthday edition for Kate. How are you, Kate? Are you good? I'm good. It's my big day as a princess. Really happy to be. <laughs> she says with her arms crossed and a scowl on her face. Lucy Race, how are you? I'm really well, thanks. Happy to be here. Great. Nicole, I'm sitting next to you today. How are you? I am in a very celebratory mood in honour of our Dr. Sia. Oh, Happy that's birthday, really Katie. Nice. How are you for the city race? I'm good. Wish there was cake, though. We yeah, are. forgot the cake. I'm sort of wondering where the my face present. cake. I'm wondering where my present is. Alicia, anyway. you made the cake, right? I pumped up the balloons. <laughs> <laughs> totally pumped. And I'm Emma Race. Thanks so much for joining us again this week on the Outer Sanctum. Um, it's a. It's actually been a bumper week. They all seem to be at this point. You know, there's podcasts writing themselves here, there and everywhere. Before we get into some really hard-hitting stuff, I just wanted to say the ladder, I think yeah. we need to do a ladder check, Kate. We do, we do. So I love to do a check to see, you know, whether the ladder is in alphabetical order or whether it forms a word. This week, well, the first four teams are P-A-R-M, Palmer. Port Adelaide <laughs> is on top, Adelaide, Richmond and, and Melbourne. I mean... It's actually wow. a pretty extraordinary ladder. I'm not sure who many who would have picked it. But, yeah, the two South Australian teams are leading it up. It's pretty amazing. Richmond and Melbourne don't see a lot of action that at that point of the ladder usually. And I just reckon there must be a whole lot of Richmond membership cards that are breathing a little sigh of relief going, oh, not in the microwave yet. <laughs> I'm imagining lots of screenshots happening right now to preserve right. the Blow moment. Blow the siren. Blow the siren. Why are the Richmond people speaking in high voices? Uh, that was the membership card talking. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's Buddy's 250th as well. And I've got to say, it couldn't have come at a better time because last week we were watching the game. He got written off in the first half and then he really brought it back old school Buddy style reminded me that he is like the ocean do not turn your back on that man I know. <laughs> do you know it made me think that uh, it, was there a cooling off period on that trade like has it expired <laughs> he's, he's really gone hasn't he from Hawthorne so we don't get him back he's not coming back I still back. miss him terribly oh, if you haven't seen the top 10 oh. goal highlight that the AFL has put out um oh I mean, maybe you don't want to watch it if you. It you're made a... me weep. I shed a tear. Yeah, yeah. It, was, well, it, was it still makes Kale Hooker weep. I think. But, um, <laughs> gee, it, it was something to wake up to this morning to I watch. I know, and I wanted to thank the AFL, who I imagine put it together specially for my birthday. It was a lovely <laughs> treat. <laughs> Do you know what I realised? Um, doing a little stock take is. Oh, you are going to hate me for this. This is like that time Felicity admitted that she voted for the merger. Don't tell people who've just when joined Felic- us. Felicity voted for the Hawthorne Melbourne merger. Um did you read the three jumpers that my children have got Hawthorne jumpers, one had a number twenty three, mm-hmm. one had a number five, and one had a number three. Kiss of death. Oh my gosh. They're all secondhand from Lucy though, Somebody so actually to- it's her fault. 
just make sure that Paul Popolo is safe because yeah. one of your kids wears a number 28 at the moment. <gasps> yeah, that's right. Oh. I'm going to petition this before we move on. There needs to be a buyback scheme for jumpers because you can't take the numbers off these days. So there does, I think that clubs, mm. the first club that does it is going to get members flocking to it, don't you think? Yeah. A Can buyback? you just put an amnesty? Because when Buddy left, I, I just thought you could put a backwards three on and turn all the 23s into 28. Yeah, or just mm. colour it in with a texter. <laughs> That just works too. That's what I just did on put mine. a line through it and write Cyril. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you guys catch Erin Phillips on open mic and Kate yeah. Sheehan? Yeah, I did. What a confident, extraordinary woman she is and just so eloquent as well. Yeah, it was amazing to hear. There were some beautiful stories. There was one thing that really stayed with me, which was when Mike said to her, how much did you get paid for this season? You're, probably, you're worth a million bucks to the AFL, which she mm. probably is. And she actually didn't know how much she'd got paid. She looked across at Kate Sheehan and Kate said, well, we're both rookies, so we got paid $8,000. And then Mike said, you, you're probably worth as much to the AFL as... Dangerfield. Yeah, and he's on about 800000 and it That seems just fair. Hit me. It just hits you in the guts. Oh, it hits it? you right in the guts and where you keep your wallet, wherever that is. <laughs> I think yeah. the other None thing that guts. really jumped out at me was that in playing AFL, she actually risked her salary from her... WNBA. Bas- yeah, yeah, from her WNBA. Absolutely. That's massive. Mm. Mm. Shows yeah. how much it meant to her. I also loved um, that little story that uh, her dad said that when growing up, she was often tugging at the back of his jumper and saying, come out and kick. And it's something that you hear a lot about from elite athletes that they've had a childhood where they've had somebody who has spent that time and getting those 10,000 touches. And I just thought that's a beautiful story. And yeah. that, that's something that, you know, we often don't, you know, we get a bit of a sense of how important parents are and, and other important people in raising these athletes. But it's a, it's a really lovely nod to, I guess, that, the relationships that often sit behind sport. I can imagine Greg Phillips probably wasn't in a hurry to go out and have another kick when he just spent two hours training with <laughs> Adelaide, Port Adelaide. It makes me really nervous that my kids are never going to be Guess Who champions because I never say yes to that. <laughs> Worst game <laughs> ever. Worst oh, parent ever. No. Oh, there's a I lot worse. Guess Who. There is a lot worse. Okay, it's now time for a little segment, brand new segment to the show called Mia Culpa Corner with Kate and Lucy. Yeah. What have you done? Kate's yeah, going I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to kick it off. So I have a bit of a mea culpa. I I have um, an admission to make. I made a mistake um, on the program last week. So if you tuned in last week, you heard me say that one of my bugbears was commentators who talk about people marking the ball at the highest point because I felt that literally that never happens. But then I went and watched Hawthorne play Adelaide on the weekend yes. and <laughs> Paul Pawapolo literally did mark the ball <laughs> at the highest point. He was on the third, if not perhaps the fourth tier of the of the G. He so hit true. his head on that paper seagull. <laughs> yeah. He did. He was up there where those wires cross over to prevent all the pigeons or seagulls from coming down. So um, I apologise, yeah. Paul Pawapolo, that has to be mark of the year. Well done. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Lucy, you've got one that's a little bit more serious than yeah, Paul Popolo. Mine, mine is a little bit more serious and, and it, I guess is around language. And on a previous podcast when when I was discussing privilege and, and the privilege that I think that we all enjoy, I used Y chromosome as a reference instead of saying men. What I didn't really consider was the implications of using that term for trans and intersex people. Um, and I was very grateful that a listener who is a woman with a Y chromosome got in touch with us this week to really highlight how for her that Y chromosome's actually a barrier to playing the sport that she loves. And I just thought it's something that um, I learned something and 
we always talk about how important language is and how important it is to to listen and keep learning. So I was very grateful um, that she was able to engage with us and um, teach me something. So that wasn't at all what I was implying when I used that terminology, but I'm very grateful to um, have had that interaction and discussion. Yeah. Off the back of that, um, it's probably a good chance for us to talk about something that happened during the week. Um, and a lot of our listeners, um, we were getting a lot of messages saying, can't wait to hear you unpack what um, a question that Dermot Burton had posed on SEN Crunch Time. Um Kate did a lot of the legwork on mm-hmm. this and spoke to a bunch of people. And um, Katie, do you want to take it from here? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I suppose m- most of our listeners will probably know um, what took place. But as you said, Emma, Dermot Brereton on SEN this week, um, he had Gil McLaughlin, the AFL CEO, on as a guest. And he asked him a question where he said, Dermot essentially said that he had heard rumours about grooming in the women's competition. And he hoped that those rumours weren't true, but he wondered if Gil could confirm or dispel them. So this provoked a kind of outpouring, particularly on social media, of criticism of Dermot Brereton. And I think rightly so. And you, you probably all have something you want to say about that in a moment. Hmm. But um, one of the things that was really interesting to me was that after a short period of time, there also started to be some questions being asked among us um, and also on social media about Gil McLaughlin's response. He mentioned that the AFL had done some work to look at this and done some work on its culture and to sort of mitigate against any what he called potential risk. And that sounded a little bit like he was legitimising or, or adding some credibility to what Dermot had said. So so I made some calls to the AFL and I had a few conversations with them during the week, which were very enlightening and, and helpful. And we were really grateful that the AFL provided us with a statement that they've allowed me to read today, which clarifies what their position is. The statement says that the AFL believes Dermot Brereton's question was extremely inappropriate and hurtful. The AFL reiterates the CEO's comments on Saturday that no information has come to the AFL that would support the question asked. And I think that's terrific because it lays the whole story to bed. But um, as I said, there was criticism of Dermot Brereton and I think quite rightfully so. You know, The hard thing in talking about it is that we don't want to give too much oxygen because that legitimises mm. the... Um, concept I suppose yeah, yes. well it puts it puts it up for discussion like yeah and it's I mean it's fake news isn't <laughs> yeah, it that's right. you, you can't use that term that he used you can't use that term grooming yeah um, not for adults for adults it's, it's not it's, applicable so to adults there and you can't even here we are discussing it but we yeah. you know it shouldn't be up for debate so let's not give it oxygen yeah. let's not talk about it too much one, but, one thing I just wanted to say is that we did talk to some people in and around football and I think one of the key messages was this that actually talking about it was really problematic because it might seem like it were open for debate and that was a really big problem but we made a deliberate decision here today to give it a little bit of time bearing in mind the possibility that that might then look like you know this is a legitimate conversation to have in part because there had been no opportunity for the AFL to clarify its position and we, we had been able to have those conversations with the AFL, but also because we felt like we just couldn't let it pass um, and we, we hope that, you know, in doing so, it's a respectful conversation nevertheless. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think the thing to take from it is it, it is symptomatic of a much bigger problem and one of the challenges when there is not the diversity across the media sporting landscape um, that there should be, that there are sort of preconceptions and and misunderstandings and and flat out ignorance about um, anything that's outside of that sort of male heteronormative experience. So looking forward to seeing some change on all levels there.
Nicole and Alicia, you just caught up with someone. And I think that the important thing is that we always come back to inclusiveness Mm -hmm. and um, diversity. And you've actually got a great story for us on that. Yeah, so this weekend the National Diversity Championships are on. We'll, the, you'll hear a bit more about this in the interview, but we spoke with, Alicia and I spoke with Joseph Laposta, who's the State Manager of Partnerships, Diversity and Major Projects and coach of the All Nations New South Wales ACT team. And he told us a little bit more about what it's all about. New South Wales is playing host to the fourth year of the National Diversity Championships. The championships will see over 300 participants from Indigenous and multicultural backgrounds come together and compete at a week-long tournament. Here to tell us more is Joseph Laposta. Tell us more about what's going on. Well, we're very excited. The staff have got a countdown on and there's two more sleeps until, yeah, as you said, 300 young men from throughout uh, Australia, every state and territory will come into New South Wales, either by car, bus or plane. And the young boys who are under 15s, um, they, they come from every, literally every corner of Australia imaginable, regional, metro and some pretty far-flung places, even some of the islands to the north. So... Uh, yeah, we're, we're super excited to have the guys um, coming into town and um, yeah, we're really excited to be hosting them at a at a city like Blacktown, which is probably the epitome of cultural diversity, both um, with such a significant and proud Indigenous uh, culture out there and then also, you know, a diverse melting pot. That's amazing. Um, how are, You say they're from far-flung areas. How did you kind of, or how are they recruited or identified to be part of this competition? Yeah, so each of the states has their own recruiting um, process. Effectively, what we're looking for is two different things. Firstly, their athletic prowess. So they don't have to be traditional AFL players. In fact, in a lot of instances, um, a lot of the guys in particularly the All Nations team will come either, they'll either be first generation migrants or migrants themselves. So they won't necessarily have a background in AFL. But a lot of the states will do talent testing and other sorts of things with these these young guys to understand um whether they're quick, whether they've got a great vertical leap, whether they're quite agile, whether they've got wonderful endurance. Um, and then through that, you know, we'll, we'll build a bond and a relationship with them and then pretty quickly work out whether they've got, you know, the right sort of um, attitude to be a part of this. Because really for these guys, it's a reward. They they get some fantastic kit. Uh, they get an opportunity to travel into state. Many of them haven't even been out of their local regions, let alone traveling into state. Um, yeah, so they get some pretty unique and, and wonderful opportunities in being part of this national championship. And like we said, it's sort of every state and territory for the first time. So even Tassie this time last year, they were sort of Vic Taz, but even Tassie this time has their own team in um, standalone. So it's yeah, it's really exciting. And it also says that it's not just about sport. They also have opportunities to learn about culture, identity and personal development. Mm. Um, Tell us about some of the stories that go along with that. Oh, look, they're fascinating. So um, you've got two different teams that represent each state. So you've got your kickstart team, which is your Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander boys or your first people. And then you've got your All Nations teams, which really just are a diverse melting pot of um, either first generation or migrants themselves. And so our team, for example, in New South Wales, these kids speak over six different languages. So I'm going to have to touch up with my my communications as a coach. They speak Japanese, Arabic, Tongan, French, Dinka from Sudan, and then also Indonesian. And it and it sort of changes from year to year. Have you seen kind of the impact off the field, the and the role of sport and in promoting diversity and inclusion? And sport just cuts across so many different barriers and. 
you guys will know this. I mean, you've spoken to Tanya Hosh, our, our head of social policy and inclusion, not that long ago. But, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, Tanya's just such a special person in this place because she, she championed and pioneers inclusion across the board. Um, sport does exactly the same thing. It, it brings people together because um, it doesn't matter what your background is, what your race or your religion or any of those things. It's, it's about your application to um, the team. And I think the value of team sport, regardless of whether it's ours or any of the other team sports, it, it unifies people and it respects people for their input into that team environment. Well, visibility is so important. If you can't see it, you can't be it. Besides the multicultural and Indigenous players, what about coaches, umpires, etc.? Yeah, and this is where it's it's a really proud thing to be a part of the AFL because it's got such a commitment to diversity and inclusion. Our coach for the New South Wales ACT kickstart team is a guy called Garrett Wanganine, who's a proud Aboriginal man who's based down in in uh, Canberra at the moment and does a hell of a lot of work down there with their communities and is a, is, is a really special person who's grown up and um, the game has given him so much in a sense of belonging and how he repays the game by going out of his way to coach our teams. No different from our young support crew that are supporting um, Jarrett in Matty Keeble, who's a guy from Western Sydney who is part of our... Um, Indigenous academies out there, which are about actually keeping kids in school, and and Maddie's by by his own admission was was a kid that had lost his way and really didn't see the value or the purpose of completing school, and he and he got through the program, and now he is a leader within the Western Sydney community, even though he's a young guy only in his early twenties. He's a leader within the Western Sydney community because the kids can resonate with the fact that he probably had the same challenges as them, and has come out the other side, and is now one of the assistant coaches of the Indigenous teams. It's, it's a um it's a really exciting time to be a part of the organisation. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds amazing. Well, good luck for this weekend and um, thank you so much for joining us on The Outer Sanctum. Thanks so much, Joseph. Thanks. Pleasure. Yeah, that was great speaking with Joseph Laposta from the All Nations New South Wales ACT team and, you know, it was he had some great stories. Don't you love hearing all these stories that are popping up? And I don't know if we're just more open to it now, but, you know, it seems like everyone's having a dip now and there's lots of stuff happening. It's getting covered. and So much going on, is There's a it? real thirst for it, which is great. Okay, the Twilight Grand Final is off the table. How do we feel about that? I'm busting out the ticker tape. I am so happy. It <laughs> oh, should stay totally. at 2 o'clock. Mm. 2.10. 2.10. I just, like, I could not go the whole day waiting for no, the grand final. No, no, no. You would poo all day, wouldn't you? I would oh, be, like, I would be a mess. A two stall yeah. would be in trouble. Yeah. So nerve wracking. I'm with Lucy for the same reasons that Alicia mentions. Um, <laughs> and your heart rate. And my Plus, heart rate. Yeah. I know, like, I would be probably dead before the first bounce of the ball if it didn't start until seven o'clock or something but no to me there's something beautiful about the atmosphere of it happening during the day I just love it I don't don't know and I'm not a person who's a traditionalist for tradition's sake yeah and people say oh you know one of the reasons we should shift us excuse me (laughs) shift shift trust me I'm so we're not editing that out no that's fine one of the reasons we should shift it to the evening is so that we can have a pre-match entertainment that's explosive fun great etc but you know what just don't get meatloaf that's all it can still be done during the day. But, you know, the other thing it's not considering is there's a whole culture about going to the game, but there's also a whole barbecue culture for people yeah, at home. Exactly. Yep. So when grand final day for you means your friends come over, you have a big barbecue lunch, that's where the majority of people watch the game. Yeah. And mm. you kick the ball you at, half kick at half time. time. You can't no do that. going to do dark. that in the middle of the night. <laughs> and if they have to get their twilight happening, do it for the AFL women's. I'm all for that. Oh, I think that'd be a nice Nicole. beginning. No? 
No, I think that would be a great way to get some, you know, to separate it out. Like I'm getting idea. faces. I'm I, getting faces. I just everywhere. don't like the idea of experimenting again upon the AFLW. I don't feel like that's an experiment. That's... I feel like that's a bold statement. Mm. Maybe. Okay. Alicia? <laughs> I just think if you don't like footy, people have traditionally loved the Saturday afternoon shopping at Chadston or the big <laughs> supermarket. So but they can get a park. Gone. Yeah, that's exactly. True. And um, if you want a good, like if you want entertainment, go see a band. This is my issue with it. <laughs> Why is football about the entertainment? It's not like about, right. the, about, about the, the entertainment around it. Like I actually think I feel like we need to rethink it. I want there to be a subcommittee, and I want to be on it, and I want it to be about the entertainment around the grand final and around all football matches. Leave it to the NFL. Um, to have Beyonce because mm-hmm. that's not going to happen here, people. No. Like, let's just have Mike Brady every year, <laughs> potentially John Farnham. I'm sorry, Alicia, every year, <laughs> and let's keep it. Let's keep it homegrown. Let's always have Australian anthems, Australian bands, Australian performers, and let's not pretend that we're going to have some piddly fireworks display and that having it at night's going to make it, you know, Disney on ice for the people who don't like football. Let's get people to the ground who actually like the game. That is my biggest bugbear about yeah. grand final. Let's not have corporate and go-go. Let's have actual people who actually like the game, who bring the vibe and bring the intensity. Let's double the amount of supporters who can get there for those teams. Oh, my God, that is awesome. Yes, come on, round about this. I know, she's nailed it. Can I just say, though, as well, let's be honest, who even watches... The pre-match entertainment. I've been holding on to the loo. Oh, I don't because I'm in the toilet. I'm in the toilet too. <laughs> yeah. toilet too. <laughs> Maybe that's it. A lot no, of people do. A lot of people do, yeah. but they don't care if it's Irene Cara or Meatloaf yeah. or Tom Jones. They don't care. They don't well, go they like, oh, the grand final was better because it was Tom Jones. Well, you they don't just, make a decision on whether you're going to buy a ticket for the grand final based on the pre-match no. entertainment, or whether do you? you're going to watch no. it at home in a bu- you know with a bunch of friends at a barbecue. Oh, I'm not. I'm yeah. bowing out this year because Ed Sheeran's. Yeah, <laughs> but he's, also, had his, he's had his time. If you're going to do it and spend all the money, you end up with a meatloaf. Like that was a debacle, okay, and it was, was embarrassing that right was. around the board. I kind of think that it's given us a lot to talk Mark, about. We love shit canning things. Life is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, it is. It's I like think a if, if Emma's in charge, you know what's going to happen. Every mascot is going to be there. Oh it's just going to be like charades off. with the mascots. What else are they doing on that day? Get the mascots there. Get they should all be there. dancing in formation. Oh, they Mark should do Seymour the grand final year. sprint. Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Actually brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, man. There's moments when you think you miss Jordan Lewis and then he gets three weeks for hitting someone in the jaw and you go, hmm, that's what you get for getting Jordan Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, seriously. Let's treat this as a confessional. Schadenfreude levels. Where were they at, ladies? Pretty high. high. Peaking. Yeah. 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 High. Eight out of ten. Is it wrong? <laughs> For me to say Sam Mitchell might come down with a cold. Oh, <laughs> okay, I take that back. But it was actually a pretty serious knock, and I think Paddy Cripps is actually going to. Oh, I said it properly. I think he's going to still play with a broken jaw. Yeah, I think uh, he is. Wow, what a chance! I don't know. I think I'm he will. Not about that, we've got an interview for you today. Let's play the interview, and then we'll come back and talk more about concussion because our guest today is Alicia Kazitsky, who is the partner of Justin Kazitsky. And I don't know if you remember, but he did cop a really heavy knock. It was a legal bump, um, and it was from Daniel G and Syracuse. But um, we talk about that a bit in the interview. So let's listen to her interview now, and we'll come back and we'll talk about concussion. It is our great pleasure to welcome onto the Outer Sanctum my gorgeous friend, Alicia Kazitsky, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having us in your home today. 
Thank you for coming. We were just doing this, the maths on this. You've been with Justin, former St Kilda superstar, for almost more than half your life. Yes, I was pretty young when I met him. He was always a footballer, obviously. Yes, well, we met in high school, but we reconnected when we both moved to Melbourne. So almost the whole time I've been in Melbourne. That's a long, that's actually a long, you've been through the whole journey with him. Yeah, well, I haven't really known anything else. When Justin was playing, was the term wag around? Was it kind of early days of that kind of title? Not particularly. I I think I really only got introduced to that term when I went over to the UK and it was the soccer yep. partners. So I think it's really only been introduced into Australia fairly recently. It's a pretty loaded term. In, you know, these days it's really attached to, you know, appearance and stuff like that. How do you How do you digest that when you see that in the news and you see people being um, like a commentary on the partners of professional players. How do you kind of digest that? Yeah, look, I, I think we've got it pretty good in Australia compared to the headlines that they get in the UK or even the girls in Perth. I think the relationships are a little bit more in the media. In Melbourne, it's relatively private. We don't really... Our relationship isn't in print or in the media in really any way. I guess you do get generalized um so I guess the only way that's really affected me is for instance when I would start a new job I wouldn't really tell them who Justin was or what my partner did until they got to know me a little bit better Mm. and then they'd kind of be a bit funny like well why didn't you tell us and I just wanted them to know me first because they don't you do have the generalization of you know a bit dumb or a bit not serious they don't take you as seriously you're in melbourne which is a complete you know victoria is a football (laughs) mad state and i imagine that during the season it's it's just everything you eat every time when you go to bed everything is dictated by football did you find that off field that there was just a group of partners and i'm gonna my assumption is they're all women who are kind of facing all the rest of life's challenges kind of on their own yeah absolutely it is unfortunately all about them and I've even met people where they've you know you've said oh no I can't do that on the weekends because my partner has to work and they start sort of thinking oh okay like really and then when you tell them what they do they understand they go oh yep okay no totally understand it is all about them um I had Jack when Justin was you know in the thick of grand final fever and even having a baby you you literally just you don't want to wake them up during the night and that that never came from Justin that came from me just going Mm. well he's going off and doing that all day Mm. so I'll I'll go into that for the the family and I look back and I think I probably could have asked him for more help and he would have been so happy to Um, but those little things I think is where you become really close to the other partners because you don't have to say it. Like when you asked before, did you talk about yeah. it? You don't have to because yep. they just know. And you do find that that's why you become so close with them. And your other friendship groups you still have, it's just that's not what you talk about with them. So you don't really... Of course, because how would you describe it to someone who's not living it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. saw um, last year, obviously, there was that big situation with Lockie Whitfield and his... Um, ex-girlfriend had been concerned about his well-being and had contacted the club and said um, that she was concerned about him. Now, I'm assuming that the partners hold 50% of the kind of intelligence on these players. And I'm wondering, like, I felt like she was kind of told that her 
um, information wasn't required and that she should have kept it to herself. How do you, how do you see that situation? This is a topic I feel really strongly about, particularly since I've watched boys finish their career and what they go through in the last few years of finishing and then the first couple of years being out of the game. It's it's really tricky for partners because if they do have concerns, who do you go to? And I'm sure there are places to go to, we just don't know about them. And it may have changed. I've been out of the system for three years, so it may definitely have changed. But I just don't think that there's enough education on who they can go to in situations like that because you're not really going to go to the club because there's a lot of just unsaid rules and you're not going to walk into the club and say, my partner or my husband is not well or not fit or shouldn't be playing. It's just not your place. So who do you go to without jeopardising their job and their career? Yeah. It's really so tricky. There was really no like two-way communication between you and the club about no. what was happening at home and what was no. happening at the club. And that's not really the fault of the club. It's just the way it is yeah. well, from, from what I understand. And I think every club is a little bit different. But I just think there should be systems in place where even if it's the AFLPA or, you know, a, a larger group where they sort of say, this is what's available, this is who you can go to, it will be confidential, we can get help, we can work with the club when they're ready, you know, that yeah. would be so much more beneficial. Because that must be especially challenging for younger players who they don't have maybe a partner to yeah. advocate for them, yep. they might still have their parents Absolutely. advocating and, you know, you're a young player trying to make it as an AFL player, you don't want your mum turning up raising concerns, but yep. there has to be a... I guess there has to be a system, doesn't mm. there, or a way to to keep those communications open and make sure that everyone's welfare is looked after. And it's in the club's best interest because if they have players out on the field that are as mentally sound as they mm. can be, they're going to get much more out mm. of that player physically, mentally, and I think it should also be offered a lot later after they finish as well mm. and um, almost compulsory for the first 12 to 18 months because often they go into their own little world 12 months post and it's not until sort of the 18 month two year mark comes around that they start to really find themselves lost because they realize they can't just keep on floating around they actually have to get serious especially if they've got a family Mm. the help's gone by that is that a really challenging time coming out of the game obviously the players have been almost institutionalized and told what to eat and when to sleep and all those things yes i think at school until you're an adult and you do obviously they pop out the other side and they've often got families and and huge responsibilities but are left untethered really yeah did you how did you guys plan for that there's not really much planning that goes into it to be honest and I do actually think to their credit this is something they work on a lot more now but Justin you've got to remember Justin started in the old school Mm. he started in when guys like Stuart Lowe and Max Hudson they had their own businesses and worked full-time and played on the weekend you know they it was he walked into a completely different way of doing things to what it is now but I, I think that they're I think they're working on preparing boys a lot better because they've seen that um, that middle group where, you know, the Stuart Lowe's and the Max Hudgens of the world just went back to their, yeah. their business. And then there's Justin's era where they're kind of walking out lost. And then I think the younger boys will walk out with maybe some sort of a, you know, degree or having done an apprenticeship. I think they're maybe pushing that a little bit more. But, yeah, he's just sort of that stuck in that middle era where... 
they're really lost. They're yeah. quite lost. And there's really yes. only so many jobs in football for ex-footballers, isn't there? You know, yeah. there, there's a limit to how many people clubs can employ and yep. the media can employ. Yeah. And, and know, whether they want to do that or not. Yeah. Yeah, because I know when Justin finished, he'd had enough. He just he just wanted to have a have a break from football. Mm. Um, and he did play in at a country team, but even if he got offered a role, I don't think he would have taken it because he just needed a kind of a mental break from that. Yeah. So it is really, really tough. But they also need to take responsibility for that and start thinking about that before they finish, particularly with the age that Justin finished. He knew it was coming at some point. But I think the real wrestle that they have is if they start taking their focus towards what they're going to do afterwards, they would get a little bit sideways upon at the club. Yeah. So, you know, what are you doing? Are you, is your head here or is your head there? Yeah. What are you doing? What a so challenging that fine line. Yeah, well, yeah. that's just my opinion. That's, yeah. yeah. But. During Justin's career, he copped a really heavy knock. It was a legal bump. Can you tell us a little bit about, I can't imagine what that was like for you and for your family to live through that? Yeah, it gives me goosebumps. Even Do you want to talk about, about it? it? Um, yeah, no, that's okay. It's fine. I can't watch it. Yeah. I, I can't see it. Luckily, we didn't have kids then. So I think I was at uni, didn't have anyone else I kind of had to put all my focus into. So it could be towards him. So I remember I was sitting next to Grant Thomas's son, Clay, and he just kind of took control. He just kind of grabbed my hand and took me down to the rooms and said, come on, because that's another thing as a partner. You never want to do something that's out of place. You don't want to kind of turn up at the rooms and they sort of go, what are you doing here? But I think everyone could see how serious it was. Yeah, he just took me down there and Justin at least knew our names and all that sort of thing. So that was really positive. But once he got to the hospital, he, he didn't really have much memory. So that was really, that was really tough and, and quite scary. And his parents were there and everything. So that was all fine. But it was a long journey. It was longer than what people probably think. The, the journey, they sort of see someone gets knocked and then they have a few weeks off and then they come back. And in his case, his comeback wasn't that smooth. But, um, <laughs> you know, they come back and they think, oh, okay, that's, that's it. But there's still all those underlying things that they have to think about. Like I compare it to someone, if you sort of, you know, walked out in the street and got bowled over by a bike, each time you step out in the street for a little while, you're going to be a bit nervous. Nervous. Yeah. So you're going to just be a little bit tentative and you don't have time to do that going straight back out yeah. out there. So you're walking back into the situation that hurt you. And I think that that was taken for granted a little bit. So, yeah, it's it, it was tough. It was tough for a while. Yeah. yeah. And there yeah. was a lot of, I remember at the time, and even now I think if you talk about it, it was weird because it was a really heavy knock and it was his head. Mm. But there seemed to be kind of a, a weird jocularity around mm. making fun of Like it was that his fault. Or something. Yeah. 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 And I think we have maybe discussed this just in conversation, but he does get teased a lot for not having great uh, peripheral vision or, you know, when people meet him out, they're kind of, oh, look out for the pole, cosy. And and I just think in what workplace would you get a severe head injury, a head fracture, you've got brain fluid coming out your ear and get teased about that? I just, yeah. it's really, it's really quite insensitive, I think, because it's caused long-term things where he needs to you know his hearing and his memory it all took a really long time it's a major head injury and I think it was probably downplayed probably by Justin yeah downplayed quite a lot because he's just no let's just get back to the job and he's that old school mentality where you just you just get on with it but I'm I'm a female so I I wonder if those things have changed I feel like there's a bit more chat around you know the head and we've seen the girls are wearing the concussion testers and 
I think he was on the cusp of that weird yeah. old school, yeah. new school kind of yeah, thing. How did you go going back to watch again? Because it's one thing for Justin to get out there and put himself on the line again, but for you to go back and watch, that must yeah. have been... He didn't want me to for a while. I didn't go to the game he played for the seconds um, where he got yet another head injury and I didn't really want him playing yet. So that was a bit... I was quite happy to kind of sit that one out, but then he got injured again. Um, yeah, I think he he felt responsible for the weight that myself and his mum and his dad and his family were carrying. So he almost wanted to take us out of the picture a little bit. Um, but of course we went. <laughs> but yeah, it was a bit tricky. It was really, it was really tricky. Yeah. yeah. I can see it was a really tough time just talking to you. Yeah. And I can understand that you would never want to watch the footage again. Mm. I'm going to bring up another trauma of a different kind. Can you watch the drawn grand final? Oh. <laughs> I haven't, but that's not unusual for me. I don't tend to sit and watch replays, but um, no, I haven't. And I know Justin at one point watched it and went through a few sleepless nights. And then actually this grand final just gone, we spent at the Del Santos and he, they've got a young one and he had not been able to sleep, got up, it was on the, on the telly and he had a few sleepless nights as well. So oh, wow. Although what not I quite could have ready. done different sort of moments possibly yeah, yeah i just think yeah. that it's just burnt into their brain and they just can't quite yeah comprehend I, I can't imagine what that um the lead up to a grand final like the saints were amazing that year and your whole life must have just been almost on hold waiting for that day to come and go mm. even though it was an exciting occasion mm. when the siren went did you let out biggest groan of your life and think oh my god I've got to live another whole week of this or do you, no, what, did no you feel knew. oh no you didn't know what, what was going to happen and the ground and I've even heard Justin describe this from being in the middle it was just you could have heard a pin drop <laughs> there was just no because no one knew what the rule was as to what was going to happen were they going to play another five minutes each way were they going to because from what I've been told I'm not the best at reading play but they were had the advantage and they had the kind of the role going on the momentum um so we didn't know what was going to happen so everyone was just sitting there looking at each other and no one knew what to say uh and when we found out it was the next week you don't even know what to say or think because you've got no idea how that's going to go and i really think that 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 week was really tough for them because they were in footy terms you know or getting to their older years and they were just limping into that one and they gave everything yeah and then I think that they just, that week in between um, where they'd played one of the hardest games of their life, the recovery was just really hard for the, the average age that they were. <laughs> they just, I don't think they were quite there mentally. So three years out or, and on, are you still yep. involved in the club? Not officially, no, no. But we've got a really solid group of girls that do regular catch-ups. And I think a few of the boys have even said that how well we are at staying connected has helped them stay a little bit connected as well but yeah the support we get from each other is just amazing and it's now moving on into supporting with children and and those sorts of things and some of them are still in the game and some aren't but they're just so important to me that group of girls so that's that's sort of the connection that I still have and we still sort of say oh let's do a Saints girls catch up even though some of them are at North Melbourne and Essendon and you know all over the place but it's it's really nice and we the last thing we talk about is footy. So <laughs> well, that sounds like the complete opposite of when I get together with my girlfriend. <laughs> all we talk about is footy. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the Outer Sanctum and telling us okay. your story. Thank you. 
thank you so much to the Cozzies for having us in their house. Felicity and I went there. Actually, when you were there, you had a concussion. I sure did. And, you know, it was such an insight. I had a, um, a bathroom accident and managed to knock myself out. And that was about three days before we did that interview. Did the toilet get three weeks? <laughs> so the floor did. Specky. Goodness. But, it, you know, it was such an insight because you hear about concussion and what I realised was at that time I was suffering from a concussion and it lasted for probably two weeks. I didn't recognise it until two weeks later. It was only wow. looking back that I realised I had been looking through a fog. Um, I was, you know, when you're sort of observing rather than participating, I could hear things but not make sense of them. It was like there was a, like a spider webs in front of your eyes. Everything was just not quite right. And Like a dog at the table looking at conversations? That's it. <laughs> just kind of like that. <laughs> I hadn't dog. come up with that oh, sorry. analogy, but it, it really brought it home to me because, you know, I thought I was fine and capable and, you know, I'd driven to their house, you know, and and really when they look at concussion and when they talk about concussion and players coming back from it, they know that the greatest risk to a player is when they come back from a concussion and if they come back too soon, Mm. they're not making good decisions. Um, You know, you just don't have all your senses about you and, um, and I can really, really understand that now. It's it's such a big issue and I think, you know, there was a story this week about Sean Dempster at St Kilda who, um, by the sounds of things, is considering um, whether he continues to play after he um, copped a pretty bad head knock. Um, and there's been about seven players over the last few years retire with issues around concussion. So some people who have had just one hit and other people who say Lee Adams at the Kangaroos who had five concussions in a year and I think we can see a huge difference in the way that the AFL and the way that clubs are dealing with it. I know in 2003 do you remember Jonathan Brown was knocked out at the start of the grand final didn't actually go to the bench. He played the whole game and he's um, since talked about that and said he can't can't remember the first half of the game Mm. so um, in terms of the way that that's changed, if you have a look at statistics, lovely Dr. Sear found these stats for me, but in um, that period, 2004 to 2007, only 0.5 of a game was lost um, to clubs for players who'd, who'd had a concussion. That went up to 0.7 between 2008 and 10. But in the period of 2011 to 2013, clubs lost players for an average of 1.7 games. So you can see... The changes that are happening around um, the management of concussion Mm -hmm. is having an impact on actually doing what you say, Felicity, and acknowledging that they're at higher risk. Yeah, and and that comes with challenges too because when you look at players like um, Lumumba, who Mm -hmm. um, he was sort of forced to retire um, where the club took a cautious approach and said, you know, no, we're not renewing your contract because you've had concussions. And that had the opposite effect where... You know, he was then, uh, you know, I think there were some legal issues between mm. him and the club where he was saying, no, no, I'm right to play. And, and the club taking a very cautious approach saying, no, best practices, you're not. Mm. Um, so that really has come that full circle. And on that, like I, there has been a bit of chatter about him, people saying he's whinging or that there's there seems to be, it seems to be open slather when you have a head knock that there's some, I don't know, Joviality or mm. jo- jocularity, I guess, mm. is what I was saying to Alicia. Absolutely. Still, people make jokes mm. to Cozzy yeah, about, I mean, you know, was... watch out for that light pole, or, you know, that's actually really serious. And when she says he had brain fluid coming out of his ear, and in what oh, other workplace God. is it okay to mock him for that? We actually. Mm 
all as punters need to take this really seriously. But I think the players probably feel that, which is why they want to stay on. It's why they want to keep pushing themselves and pushing through. But where they're going to feel it is, as we see in the NFL, is down the track with all of the medical you know, implications when you get older, Kate. Yeah, and as you say, there are long-term implications for some players or potentially long-term implications. There are still things that might not be known um, medically. And what's really interesting, just picking up on what you're saying, Felicity, is how I think the legal landscape might continue to change how this is managed over the coming years so that I think, you know, the decision to manage players and rest players more frequently is largely a response to concerns about welfare, but I think also to concerns about legal liability Mm. for clubs. We've seen a lot of that, um, you know, sort of unfolding around the NFL in the United Mm. States. And I think, you know, this could continue to change the game, I think, for the better. I mean, I know people like to pick on lawyers and I, I, I agree that they, they deserve to be picked on a lot of the time. But this is, a, this is an occasion, I think, where being more conscious about the potential liability for clubs is really important because clubs are, play, are you know, duty of care to players, the AFL owes a duty of care to players and as you say Felicity players might not always know that they're suffering until after they the fact. They might not know that they're a dog at the table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well you didn't know until just no, today. No idea. But there's a trickle down to which actually affects everybody. So I've noticed a difference in junior football that there's a lot more attention paid to concussion and yeah, for sure. um, there, there's a lot more training. There's a really great app that a lot of clubs use called the Head Check app and that's that's a good thing. I think you know there's one on one side of the ledger we have to look at the rules of the game and how that protects players and that's I think part of the discussion this week yeah. seeing some terrible fractured cheekbones and faces. But the other part of it's got to be when collisions do occur how do we then manage it and make sure that we're looking after people. Yeah, and there are implications across other sports too. Obviously, um, the you know obviously things like um, boxing are, are sort of a, a have long-term and ongoing issues with head injuries but also they're looking at the header and the role of the header for mm, in soccer yeah, and yeah. especially for young people who yeah. are, whose brain they're still developing so this is a whole big conversation that we're just at the start of it's interesting when the when the research shows that helmets don't actually make that much difference mm. and um that it's hard to be precautionary because people are still going to play these sports so a lot of the stuff that we're seeing is um legislation and changes to at club land in the things that happen in the moments after a concussion has occurred but i've been someone who's been quite critical of um rule changes in the afl it really frustrates me that they change the rules feels weekly um, but you're right in an earlier conversation Felicity you mentioned that it's kind of the rules of the game stuff that is protecting people a bit more while they're playing the game. Not mm. everything could be the 1989 grand final that's for sure. How no. many mm. injuries were there mm. in that? Yeah. yeah and it's yeah and I guess that that's, that's the way it's going. It was interesting to see the women wearing the concussion testers as well because again this is not prevention it's not but prevention. it's gathering information yep. at it the same is. time. For future generations. But it's also, I mean, it's really baseline testing, isn't it, Mm. to see what's going to happen during the course of their career. And, Mm. um, yeah, you know, you really, as Lucy said before, you can do some work with the rules of the game, but really putting that work into, okay, when a concussion occurs. And a concussion doesn't mean loss of consciousness. You don't have to be knocked out to be concussed. What do you do next and how do you manage that? And I think that there are so many much stronger systems and processes in place now that I think Mm. the players these days are going to get looked after a lot better. I can't believe we didn't use the concussion tester app on you. No kidding. While we're at the Kaczynski's house. Well, I'm surprised that they didn't 
pick it, pick it uh, up. I mean, I listen back to that interview and I can hear myself not making a whole lot of sense. <laughs> That's what you sound like to me all the time. Yeah. Do I? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was a low blow. Yeah. We, just, we just picked on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did. Oh, oh my no. God. But That's, we did know, just pick on her. Did. I just and did we that. just pulled up. We just pulled ourselves up on it. I know. Well, I was, was going to say actually on the on the back of that, you know, talking about rule changes, talking about legal pressures, talking about all of you know research and so on. The other thing, as you point out, Emma, is culture. And you know, to me, there is still um, a culture in the game in which you know there is an expectation that players be tough and hard yeah. and so on. That's a big part of the game. The idea of people like Lumumba or like Kaczynski being mocked um, or being seen to be weak or you know, any other number of words that might be used on field um, is really horrifying to me. I mean, we've all probably been at games where we've seen players knocked out or concussed. I remember the Jordan Lewis concussion mm. years ago in the Western Bulldogs game, which was horrifying. Brad Sewell, yeah. Ma- Matthew Lloyd. You know, as a fan, you don't forget those things and they're, they're awful. Did you see the article with Joe Bailey talking about her son who he copped on to the – he copped one in the face, didn't he, this week? It was a good hit. Yeah, Yeah. it was Jack Silvani. And she was looking through the binoculars, I think. And then she was saying she didn't know when she could go down to the rooms. And this is a whole other thing that this, um, you know, the perceived toughness around, you know, the same with the Cosy saying, I don't know if I could go down to the rooms. I don't know when I'm welcome down there. It's a really tricky business, isn't it? Because it's relationships as well. And it's about what it looks like on the outside. And you want to get picked next week as well. But there's and, a long-term game here. And Jack said that if she had gone down there, he would have been off her. And I'd just like mm-hmm. to congratulate him on the adroit use of the past perfect. Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen quite enough in football, if you ask me. Oh, you're hilarious. <laughs> hey, um, the AFLW is having a talent search this weekend. There's 50 positions. Great. Uh, we only need AFL six. <laughs> so for the talent search. <laughs> 300 people have applied to go. Wow. Is this the start of the next wave? Yeah. Oh, surely. So, surely. Lucy, what's happening with the contracts for the AFLW players? I think their contracts um, are up for renegotiation. Is that yeah, right? So, um, the contracts actually end on the 15th of April. Um, and then, so in May, we're going to see a trade period. So, there's still going to be news around the AFLW. So, mm. this will be exciting. But um, so, there'll be a 19 day sign and trade period um, where Clubs can either recontract people from their primary list or rookies or maybe entice people over from other clubs. There's a little bit of discussion about what those numbers are going to be. So I think waiting for confirmation about whether the lists are going to grow a little bit in size, um, which I think might happen. Do you think Mm. that players will be able to make informed decisions if we don't know what they're going to be paid yet? By then, yeah, that's a, it's that's an interesting thing, space, isn't it? isn't it? There's so it does feel a little bit like some of this stuff is happening before some of the groundwork needs to be in for next year. It's going mm. to be a very different game. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, forgive me, I might be wrong about this, but my understanding of things is that the pay deal is locked in for two years, yeah, but that the right. AFLPA is trying to reopen they it. They're trying, trying to reopen it. Trying yep. to reopen it. I I believe got a I've fairly read, good case though. Yeah, and they? I've read that the AFL is open. Mm. to that. Um, but the same with the broadcast rule. I was going to say, yeah. maybe right. the AFL yeah. reopened the broadcast mm. rights. Yeah. Which was also for then two years, but there is the that potential. Yeah, it's the cart before the horse, which I went to Sovereign Hill yesterday. doesn't work that way. <laughs> but um, but they're going to try it here. So, yeah, you know, we'll see now. how we go. Yeah. Um, some, Can I just I, ask, did you find any gold? <laughs> of course. It's Plenty here of gold. Today. Most of the gold was me dressed in period costume. Which was special. Do you want me to tweet the photo? Please. So... Let's just get through. We've got some final business, but funny stuff. 
Firstly, <laughs> Alicia, what did you hear about a survey that's doing the rounds? Well, a reliable source told me there was a survey doing the rounds where they were asked what their thoughts on the footy show were and whether that they liked certain hosts. And the main focus was on um, whether they liked Eddie Maguire or... Is he an option? Yeah, it was an option. And uh, Craig... Hutchinson. 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 Yeah. So they, they were the two touted and that this source wrote in the comments section a whole lot about why Eddie Maguire perhaps isn't the best choice to go back to. Well, he's busy. He's got lots on his plate. Exactly. That's yeah. right. It says, would you like him on the footy show or hot seat? Yeah. So, game, game show oh. host. Yeah. Game show host. So, is there an option C? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there was mostly questions about that. I just quickly had a... The quickest mea culpa in that, oh. Um, oh. yeah, I've been to seven games uh, just over the last year, been quite busy uh, over the last few years, and every time I've been, I've seen Hawthorne lose. So I'm not going this week, just so you know. I'll go thank to another you. game. Yeah. yeah, thank you for Hawthorne, that. Well, thank you. I mean, mind you, that Hawthorne's playing the Gold Coast on the Gold Coast, so that's easy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think it was that. So uh, the other thing is, just quickly, an article by Hugh Robertson in The Monthly, just a big shout-out to him. He talks about the language of AFL, and he mentions, the Jareds that are going on. Jared with an AD, a YD, an OD and an ED. <laughs> and the rain in Spain falls mainly on the Dane, Zane, Blaine, Kane, Kane, Wayne, Jermaine. But he said, is this a footy player or make of car? A Buick? <laughs> a Jaeger? Oh, yeah. A Subban? A Horvat? A Prius? A, a Fiorini? And uh yeah. What about a Fantasia? Fantasia. Oh, I love the Fantasia. Fantasia. That's a magic carpet. Awesome. Yeah. There well, are three Rorys playing for Adelaide. And yeah. no What's Peters? That? I know. I know. Yeah, what I know. about it's Gary's? Business. I bet there are Times more Peters on the board. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for all joining us again today. We got into some dense stuff and some silly stuff. And um, we're always really happy to hear from you. You know, when a media storm happens or when something ruffles your feathers, you are contacting us to let us know. We're not the high sparrow. I'll just repeat that. We are not the high sparrow. But we do enjoy, yeah, we're pigeons. (laughs) We do enjoy hearing from you. So you're very welcome to get in touch with us via the website or um, we're on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and someone usually responds pretty quickly, I think. Just don't write us a letter. We don't check the post office box. You can leave us a review on iTunes. That would be ice. It's It's always nice. That's a little (laughs) Christmas present for us. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll speak to you next week. Go footy. Bye. Thanks. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.